or not, I will be brief this morning. But there's one little thing I'm going to share. Ties right into what's happening this morning. There are two things, there are two identities that we need to learn to get right. And we've been talking about this for some time, that we're growing up in our identity. But it also includes his identity in us, who he is, how we see him. So I've read this story about a week ago, and I was like, man, that's hilarious. There was a fisherman off the shores of the Philippines, and uh, he did all kinds of fishing and digging and scavenging along the coast. He come up along this big old gross-looking lumpy block of something, and it was just so odd. It was so weird-looking. He didn't know what to do with it, so he took it home. It just it had all these folds, and it didn't look like anything he'd ever seen. It didn't look like something of worth, really, but it was just different. So he, he didn't value it. He actually stuck it under his bed in his house. Ten years later, for some reason, he went to the local tourism office in the Philippines, and he gave them this rock, this odd-looking thing. Come to find out, at that time, it was considered to be the most valuable pearl in the world. It was... It was uh, it was valued at over a hundred million dollars, but it looked nothing like a pearl. It was just this big old lumpy thing. It had big old globs and folds on it. You can look it up online. There's a picture of it, a hundred million dollar pearl. And all he thought was he found a goofy rock. So I, my wife was the one who encouraged, uh, encouraged me to do this. And that is, uh, we've been going through Mark. And uh, uh, Mark, this time, and I've read through the Gospels many times in my life. And uh, one of the things the Holy Spirit's arrested us about is, is when we say it, when I say it, or when I hear someone else say it, oh, I've read that. Oh, I've heard that. You know, it's like, the Holy Spirit's just been just just been unearthing a lot of old religion in my life. A lot of old religion. And it's like, wait a minute. And so I'm only on chapter 8 in the book of Mark. I've been working on this for a couple months now. And I've only, I haven't got past 8 in, into the, what I'm going to share today. I had to go back to ver chapter 6. Because this story is in chapter 6 of Mark, it's in chapter 13 of Matthew, and it's in chapter 4 of Luke. But Mark tells us a story that Jesus and the disciples, when they, he visited his hometown, it was on a Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and started teaching. And in, in, and in this story, he went in and he started, they asked him, they said, hey, he had just come off of a great revival over in Galilee. And people were starting to ch chatter. The gossip was around the lake, you know. Hey, this guy is healing the sick and casting out demons and, and all. And they were like, come on in. And, you know, the local boy making good. So come on in. We want to hear you preach. So he opened up the book of Isaiah and started reading. 
and he astonished the crowd. They knew him. <laughs> and, they, and they were just startled. People were shocked that this man had known, that they had known since a child. You know, here he was. He was just this plain carpenter's boy. And now he is making some pretty substantial claims in his preaching. Surely the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he has anointed me. That's the scriptures from Isaiah he begins to read. To heal the sick, to cast out, to, to heal the brokenhearted, to, to open blind eyes. And he goes on and he reads the whole ver chapter, uh, that whole passage of scripture from Isaiah. Then he sits down and says, today, this is being fulfilled in your eyes. People are like, how the audacity that this guy has, this carpenter's son, how dare he? And in all in, in, in the other books, they, they tell the story. It's like, wait a minute. Aren't you the carpenter's son? Aren't you, aren't you Mary's boy? And they name off his brothers. And that your sisters are even here. What, what is this? You know, you're basically claiming to be the Messiah. How dare you? How dare you? The impact on what he could do there. It says in Mark 6, 5 through 6, he could not do any miracles except lay his hand on a few sick folk and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. You see, the first thing that we, we want to we run to is, to is to think, it's a, you know, that, that their, un, their lack of faith limited God. But it was their rejection of him that stopped him. It was the fact that they, they believed. They just didn't believe that he was the Messiah. They believed he was just the carpenter's boy. They believed that he was just this commoner, he wasn't rich. He, was, he hadn't graduated from seminary at the, late, at the near synagogue. He, hadn't, he, he wasn't good looking. It actually says in the Old Testament, in Isaiah 53, that there was nothing about him that we would look at him and esteem him, that he was nothing. That we would look at him and say, actually, he's probably been smitten by God. He was actually a homely dude. You know, all of our Jesus pictures, it's hilarious. You know, we have these white guys with blue eyes and, you know, and they're shaven and long hair. Or they look like Obi-Wan Kenobi, that one that went around the Internet. And it's like, oh, my gosh. You know, I'll never forget that. My mom even got on that board, on board with that one. She was like, that's a picture of Jesus. That's just Obi-Wan Kenobi from Star Wars. Wait a minute. She's like, is it? I was like, yeah, that's not Jesus. Come on. It's hilarious. But they did have a, they did believe, they only believed that he was something that they, they couldn't get their head around this because of what was there. And in that moment, you see, now Luke goes into a little more detail. Because in that moment, he realized the disdain in the room for him that he had made this proclamation, these scriptures, and he had said, 
It's being fulfilled right now in your presence. And he could sense the disdain, the shock. So he didn't just stop there. And Luke, he poked the bear. And it was a little out of mercy. But he poked the bear. <laughs> he actually said, well, wait a minute. I see where this is going. Let me tell you about a story when Elisha and the widow and her son, and it was during a, the, um, the three-and-a-half-year drought. And here he was going to the, the Syrian woman, and he was blessing her by going to her house. And they ate, and her and her son never went hungry. There was people starving in Israel. And here was a Syrian woman who, who received and was obedient to the word of the prophet and was fine. Now, he's, he's like, you're, you're all Israelites. You know, let me tell you. There, let me remind you of this story. Let me remind you of another story. He didn't stop there. And he's just getting them mad, more, more angry. He said, let me tell you this. The enemy of Israel, Naaman, he was actually a general in the enemy's army. And he had, he come down with leprosy. And he went and saw the man of God. And the, he obeyed the word of the man of God, and he was healed. There were lepers in Israel. And what he did was, is he was it was an opportunity to let the hard heart get broken in a moment. I think he was doing that out of, out of mercy. It says that he could not do any good work. They got so mad, he only, he only was able to heal a few folk just visiting his hometown. Then he goes on to say, you'll probably say, you'll, you'll say to me, physician, heal thyself. And that, there, and that a prophet is not honored in his own hometown. Because they knew him. Based on their belief system and what they saw from their past, they couldn't get past it. They could not get past their past with him. They couldn't get past it. They were so angry that it says that they led him. And the Greek word in there that says led him, actually they apprehended him. They arrested him, took him up to the cliffs along the city of Nazareth and were planning on throwing him over the cliff. And when he got, they got him there, he just walked back through the crowd and left town. And there's no record that he ever went back to Nazareth. There's no record he ever went back through there ever again. Out of that anger, this morning, we're in here this morning, you're, we're singing about the goodness of God. We're hearing people talk about being awakened and being in shame being broken off. And God saying, hey, you're in my spotlight. And we're at a place in this church and in our personal lives where we have the opportunity to be something that we've never been before. But if all we can do is see the Father through the eyes I have of the Father that used to hurt me, of the church leaders that used to talk down to me, if all I can do is see what God can do through my history and not say, God, I nail all of what I think I know about you, the good, the bad, the ugly. If, and, and if I can't do that, if I can't get that out of the way, 
then there's no room for you to do something different. I will only stay here the rest of my life. I will only warm the seat I'm in for the rest of my life. Even if you decide, you know what? I've had it here. You'll take your stuff and your hurts and your history and go sit somewhere else and do it. Or you'll go even colder and not even go to church anymore. So this morning, the moral of the story is that we, we have to choose. We have a free will. We have to choose to see him differently. And he'll poke us. Things will happen. And we'll have expectations. Mark was hoping that somebody would come and push him out of his seat this morning. But he was able to change. He was able to shift just enough to have the boldness to say, you know what? He's still calling me. I need to move. <laughs> Deuteronomy 30, 19 and 20. For those of you that feel like we have to make sure we get into the Old Testament a little bit every Sunday. Deuteronomy 13, 19 through 20. I call heaven and earth as witness today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. That both you and your descendants may live. Verse 20, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling on him, for he is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord has sworn to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. That you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, that you may cling to him. She was talking about clinging to the fortress. That you may, you may walk in his goodness. You may have his, 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 the grace and power of God in your life. You may have it, but you have to choose to accept it. You see, when it says in the word in Mark, it says that he could not do any good work, any big thing, except save as he's heal a few folk he lays hands on. That's not because your, their lack of faith limited his power. You see, we often think that we're fully in control and that my unbelief will actually depower my God. That, well, he, he, he couldn't do it. The Greek word actually in there, um, I'm not even going to try and pronounce it. In, in, in Matthew, it says that he would not do any good work except heal a few folk the thing is is that God loves you he's not here to try and press you in that moment I would have said wait a minute let me heal some people let me raise some people from the dead I'll prove to you I'm Jesus and he's like no I'm not here to sell you on anything he came he didn't come to sell anything he came to save that which was lost it's a huge paradigm shift He's not powerless because of my lack of faith. I just need to find where I'm going to put what I believe in. Where am I going to put that? 
Am I going to get past what I think I know about him? Am I going to get past what I think I know about my relationship with him? Nanette and I, for the last two days, have been... We had the opportunity over the last couple of months to redevelop or rekindle a friendship that I had years ago. The guy was actually closer to my parents. Uh, He's about six, seven years older than me. But uh, he's been in ministry, in and out of ministry most of his life. And he's fighting a rare cancer, a blood cancer, that there's no cure for. And so he's been going to Duke. And I just happened to see something on Facebook one time. And and we developed this friendship. And he's coming and staying with us when he comes up to get treatments. In all these years, he is confident that God is able to heal him. He is confident that God has the power to do these things. But what he has trouble with is seeing God's willingness. He's done good things. He's done bad things in his life. And he struggles to see that God is willing to walk with him through this. He says, that I have has been my biggest fight. And we had an opportunity to just sit and charge one another in the identity of who God is to us and us to him. In this day, God wants you to be different. He wants to take the flavor of you, the the color of you, and bring that into this family, into the gifts and callings of God. But if there's anything that's keeping you sitting planted without reaching out to other people and giving his life. You see, Bill Johnson, I love this quote. He said, we are in debt to this earth. We owe this earth an encounter with the presence of God. Steve, in your home, you owe your home and your children and anybody who comes in your home an encounter with the presence of God. If you know him, his DNA has changed you. Lynn, you owe the people around you the presence of God. You owe this earth an encounter with him. And if that's not happening, what is it, God, that I'm not seeing? Paul said, I pray that that you see. He said, I pray that you know And that word know in the Greek means to see what is the height and the breadth and the depth and the length of who he is. We got to get past what we think we know. Get past looking through the stained glass of hurt and disappointment. Because if if I asked you to raise your hands, how many times you've been hurt by your parents? Or how many times have you been hurt by church leaders? Or how many times you've been hurt by, by, by teachers or mentors? Probably everybody in this room could lift their hand and think of at least one time that they've been hurt. And that history begins to hew, begins to shape the way we see things. I promise I keep this short. Father, I just thank you so much for this time. And that you would take your word and help us go this week and just dig in. 
and look for things that I need to nail to the cross. Look for things I need to say, Jesus, take this. Because I want to see you differently. I want to move differently. I want to move with your presence. I want to grow in you and in my understanding of you. So, Father, I just speak a fresh of your truth, of your love, of who you are, of a father's love in this room. That, Father, that we would get past our own understandings, that we would get past our own mistakes and inhibitions so that we can make you famous in how we love one another and those around us. Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for your love. You are precious. And I thank you for drawing us into you. Because you are a good, good father. In Jesus' name.